right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Yacht Talk Hacking the Boards. I'm Yakov. I'm Ben. And today we're going to be discussing heart failure, super high yield topic. Uh, and we're breaking it up into two episodes. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on heart failure in general, some of the basic physical exam and lab findings that you'll see, and the etiologies for heart failure. And in the next episode, we're going to be delving deep into the pathophysiology and treatment of heart failure. So starting with our review of systems or our broad overview of the topic at hand, let's start by defining heart failure. So heart failure is a clinical syndrome and it's not defined by a reduced ejection fraction as we'll see, but rather it's defined as the heart's inability to effectively circulate blood. So for one reason or another, which we'll, which we'll uh, unpack shortly, the heart is not effectively circulating blood. And uh, one high yield topic to discuss are the NIHA, the New York Heart Association classifications of heart failure. So it's broken down into class one through four. Class one, you have no symptoms at all and you don't have limitations in ordinary physical activity. Class two, you have a slight limitation in physical activity uh, and ordinary physical activity results in mild symptoms like fatigue, shortness of breath or angina. In class three, you have marked limitation of physical activity uh, and less than ordinary physical activity leads to symptoms. And then class four, which is of course the worst, you are severely limited and you experience symptoms even at rest. So this gradual uh, increase in uh, severity of symptoms. Exactly. And so there are other ways that it can be categorized. That is left versus right heart failure, diastolic versus systolic, which is the same thing as preserved ejection fraction versus reduced ejection fraction, as well as ischemic versus non-ischemic. We're going to be getting into those more within the questions themselves. Another definition to know is acute decompensated heart failure, which is an acute worsening of heart failure symptoms. So now I'm pretty pumped to get into some questions. What do you think, Yako? I, I see what you did there with the pump pun. I love it. Yeah, uh, yeah I, let's, yeah. let's do it. Um, so our first question is going to lead to a discussion on sort of the physical exam and lab findings, uh, classic and heart failure. So Ben, let's say a 52-year-old man with diabetes and hypertension comes to the ED with shortness of breath and cough, dyspnea on exertion, and orthopnea at home. Um, so my first question for you, uh, what kind of labs and imaging are we ordering for this patient? So with this presentation, I would definitely start with a chest x-ray. I would get them hooked up to an EKG, send some troponin as well, uh, and then a BNP. Perfect, yeah. And, and for those listeners out there, in case it's hard to tell, it's BN as in Nancy, BNP, um, which we're going to talk about in a bit. And which, which of those tests that you just listed has the highest sensitivity for heart failure? That would be the BNP, especially if it's elevated. Perfect, perfect. So let's say he has both left and right heart failure. What physical exam findings would we expect? So for the left heart failure, you would expect lung crackles. And we actually got into that a little bit in our previous lectures. In right heart failure, you would expect a JVD, usually above two centimeters on the exam, and lower extremity edema, as well as a positive hepatojugular reflux. Perfect. And uh, of those that you mentioned, which is the most specific to right heart failure uh, versus other pathologies like, like liver pathologies? So the hepatojugular reflux, because you can actually see some of those other physical exam findings and other systemic illnesses, but hepatojugular reflux connects uh, all of the systemic flow of that blood. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and any special heart sounds that you might expect in, in heart failure? Yes, so the S3, you'll see it mostly in systolic heart failure. 
And it's due to blood sloshing against blood that's still in there due to decreased forward flow. And then there's also the S4, and you'll really only see that in diastolic heart failure. And that's due to blood hitting a stiff ventricle wall. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and which of all of the above uh, that we just talked about uh, is most correlated with an elevated BNP? Wait, which of the heart sounds? Right, so that would be the S3 because they, they both stem from essentially stretch of the myocardium. Okay, so now we're gonna do a question that gets more into the etiologies behind heart failure. And we'll, we'll see which one we talk about first. So we have a 65 year old female who is allergic to both exercise and vegetables. <laughs> unfortunately, comes in with two months of shortness of breath and lower extremity edema. She has chronic hypertension, a BMI of 40, and exam shows pitting lower extremity edema, crackles in both lung bases, and an elevated JVP. EKG and lipid panel are normal. Chest x-ray shows pulmonary congestion, and echo shows left atrial enlargement and concentric left ventricular hypertrophy. So, with all of that in mind, what are the strongest predisposing factors for heart failure in this patient? Yeah, so, so she's got a number of them, but hypertension would definitely be number one, uh, especially with the concentric LV hypertrophy. Hypertension is a huge, huge risk factor for that because imagine in hypertension, your afterload is very high. Your left ventricle is going to work and work and work against uh, when it pumps against that high afterload. And just like any muscle, that muscle will hypertrophy. So hypertension is number one. Right. And what type of heart failure is this and how can you tell? Yeah. So this definitely seems like a diastolic heart failure and, and we really need an echo uh, to, to confirm that we can, we can be suspicious of it based on her risk factors. Hypertension most commonly leads to diastolic heart failure for the reasons we just said. Um, but on the echo, we saw the LV hypertrophy and that, that really confirms um, that it's a diastolic problem. But, but right. uh, yeah, we, we should also note that the clinical symptoms are, are virtually the same. Exactly. And that's a really important point to make because that's generally not going to help you determine systolic versus diastolic. That's more of a, a left versus a right heart failure thing. Exactly. And can we actually just take a little bit of time? I, I meant to do this a little earlier in the podcast to discuss why the clinical symptoms we see with left and right heart failure come to be. So with left heart failure, your left heart isn't getting blood out, right, for one reason or another, and it backs up into the pulmonary circulation, just uh, thinking about our anatomy, and that's why you'll get pulmonary congestion. Versus a right heart failure, if our right ventricle isn't getting blood out effectively, you're not going to back up into the lungs, you're going to back up into the rest of the systemic circulation. So up towards your head, that's going to give us our GBD, and down towards our legs, giving us our lower extremity edema. Perfect. And quick quiz, Yaakov. What is the most common cause of right heart failure? The most common cause of right heart failure is left heart failure. And I was actually pimped on this question and got it wrong initially. So I'll never forget that left heart. failure. <laughs> Great. And so now um, talking about this other section of etiologies, we're actually going to have a whole nother podcast dedicated to it. Uh, but the cardiomyopathies, can you tell me some dilated cardiomyopathy etiologies other than, of course, idiopathic, which is the most common cause? Absolutely. Yeah. So alcohol, pregnancy, uh, genetic uh, factors affecting uh, dilated cardiomyopathy, uh, chemo can induce dilated cardiomyopathy, um, Chagas disease. And uh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say those are the main ones. Yeah, those are definitely the main ones. And how would the echo findings differ between dilated and the other ideology we just spoke about? 
Yeah, so, so in dilated cardiomyopathy, you would see eccentric LV hypertrophy. Perfect. And then lastly, what about our restrictive cardiomyopathies? Yeah, so, so these will cause a uh, traditionally a diastolic cardiomyopathy. And really for the causes there, you want to think of systemic diseases or anything that'll deposit stuff in tissues. So amyloidosis, sarcoidosis, hemochromatosis, right? Those kinds of diseases where you're depositing excess junk in tissues where they're not meant to be. Perfect. So why don't we move on to the next question? So let's say, Ben, we have a 45-year-old man, past medical history of ESRD, um, just started on dialysis six months ago, and he's coming in with dyspnea on exertion and fatigue. His blood pressure is 160 over 60. His heart rate's 100. Uh, his exam shows an intact fistula, a displaced PMI, soft systolic apical murmur, trace edema, and warm extremities. But Ben, given uh, everything that I said, what do you think is causing this person's heart failure? So originally when I looked at it, I thought maybe it had something to do with their, their kidney disease, but actually it's not from the kidney disease itself, but this new AV fistula that they have. Perfect. Perfect. And that's a really good pickup on your part. So how, how would an AV fistula lead to heart failure? So this is actually the classic etiology of what's called high output heart failure. Uh, basically the, the original hit is a decrease in uh, systemic vascular resistance. And the way that happens with an AV fistula is essentially you've attached a high pressure system to a low pressure system. So your average pressure is going to be decreased, but the left ventricle will increase its stroke volume to maintain a normal cardiac output because it senses a decreased SVR, decreased blood pressure. Over time though, the muscle is so overworked from this increased stroke volume and cardiac output that the same remodeling happens that we already spoke about. Perfect. Uh, and what are some signs here uh, that are different uh, than the signs we would expect in other heart failure pathophysiologies that we've seen? Yeah, so the biggest difference here would be that we would see hyperdynamic circulation from this increased stroke volume. And so that's why, uh, and you might remember from the case, there was an increased pulse pressure, meaning difference between systolic and diastolic pressure. In this case, their blood pressure was 160 over 60. And so that explains the widened pulse pressure as well as the warm extremities, which are a common physical exam finding in hyperdynamic circulation. Perfect. Um, so let's say instead of this 45 year old man that we just talked about, let's say we have a 38 year old female coming in with similar vitals and exam, but she's actually had palpitations, poor sleep, unintentional weight loss, uh, and this occurred ever since she had a baby eight months ago, and now she's having severe shortness of breath. So Ben, what do you think is going on in this case? So that constellation of symptoms, the palpitations, poor sleep, and unintentional weight loss sound to me like hyperthyroidism, which is actually another potential cause of high output heart failure and can be triggered in the postpartum period. Perfect. Perfect. So can you walk me through how hyperthyroidism would lead to high output heart failure since it's so different from an AV fistula? Right, right. And so the way that this works is through increased metabolic demands of the tissues due to the hyperthyroidism activating your metabolism. This leads to vasodilation and thus decreases that SVR. And that starts that whole cycle again that we already spoke about. For similar reasons, you can actually see that severe anemia can lead to high output heart failure, again, because of that increased metabolic demand. As it turns out, thyroid hormone also has direct vasodilatory effects, so definitely uh, worsens SVR even further. 
Um, and last question for you. Do you know what the most common cause of high output heart failure is and how that works? Turns out it's neither of the ones we spoke about, but it's morbid obesity. And it's an interesting mechanism because decreased SVR is a result of increased number of vessels. And so there's more widely distributed, you know, pressure slash resistance. Counter cue, mm-hmm. do you know an MSK pathology, which can lead to high output heart failure for the same reason as obesity? Absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen this come up on a test question, so I'll, I'll never forget it now. Um, it's Paget disease. So that does come up. Take note of that. Paget disease can cause high output heart failure. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. And so then one last question for this episode. Uh, the systolic etiologies are actually pretty rarely tested because you're mainly seeing them within other cases. So can you just let us know what are the main risk factors for systolic heart failure? Absolutely. Yeah. So for systolic, we think about coronary artery disease or any cause of ischemia to the heart and diabetes. Those are the main ones. So you could think of right in systolic heart failure, um, a heart's filling just fine, but it can't pump, fl- uh, pump blood forward. Like we'll discuss in our pathophysiology section next. So anything that really get, gives a hit to your heart's ability to squeeze, uh, can cause a systolic heart failure. That's a perfect way of thinking about it. So with that, We will say goodbye for this episode and we'll see you next time for our continuation of the heart failure lecture. 